You're listening to From the Front Lines, a special podcast from WUFT during the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast provides weekly updates on Florida's coronavirus response with a particular focus on North Central Florida. Each week, From the Front Lines will feature community leaders and frontline workers working to reopen their communities safely during these challenging times. Hello, I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and this is From the Front Lines. The number of COVID-19 cases in the state have been on the rise, especially over the last week, with a few daily records being set. Governor Ron DeSantis, at a press conference this week, blamed the rise in cases on more testing in communities considered high risk, like prisons, nursing homes, and farming areas. Some of these guys, they go to work in a school bus, and they're all just like packed there like sardines going across like Palm Beach County or some of these other places, and you know, just all these opportunities to have transmission. Agriculture is the second largest industry in Florida, and problems with it could not only impact the economy, but the food supply and food safety. In this episode, we'll look at how the pandemic has impacted the agriculture industry in the state. We'll hear from farmers who are trying to maintain their livelihoods as they face more than just the threat of the pandemic. And we talk with agriculture experts and officials about what's being done to help the industry and keep those working in it and relying on it safe. While many of us have been staying at home, essential workers like those who work at supermarkets and with food delivery have been keeping the country fed. But there's another type of essential worker, one we don't think about often, that is being left especially vulnerable during the pandemic. Melissa Fato has a story about the agricultural workers risking their lives to harvest our food. Following the recent increase in coronavirus cases in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis has cited farm-working communities of, quote, overwhelmingly Hispanic workers and day laborers, unquote, as a major reason for rising positive cases. That comment did not sit well with Lupe Gonzalo. He dismissed the increase in cases as something trivial, something that's only an issue for farm workers. Gonzalo works with the Coalition of Immokalee Workers in Immokalee, Florida. Originally from Guatemala, she worked picking tomatoes for 12 years before becoming an organizer for the rights of migrant agricultural workers. We're essential workers, we don't have a choice, but we have the right to our health. Farm workers do not have the opportunity to work from home as many do. Working through the pandemic has made farm workers especially vulnerable to the virus. Besides all the abuses farm workers have to live with daily, like poverty, unfair pay, discrimination, and sexual harassment, working during a pandemic means putting your life at risk. There are currently over 1,000 reported cases in the rural community of Immokalee. Of the overall cases in Collier County, 53% of our Hispanic people. She says the Coalition of Immokalee Workers is collaborating with 12 farms in their fair food program to design and enforce protections for farm workers. However, the same cannot be said for the farms outside the program, which often force workers into crowded conditions, such as with transportation. Sometimes there are 40 or 50 people stuffed into buses or vans, traveling for one or two hours. Cesar Asuaje is an extension agent for the University of Florida based in Palm Beach County, who specializes in working with farmworker communities. He says the treatment of workers is not consistent across different farms and companies. For example, while some companies provide safe and sanitary housing for workers, others do not. They are considered being under the poverty lines. 
So they tend to cluster together so they can reduce the uh, cost of living. So they tend to live in a group of six, four, seven people, sometimes in a trailer. Such conditions would make it difficult for one infected person to stay isolated from others. He also notes the difficult choice workers might face in choosing to stay home if they get sick. A day off can mean a job lost. So for them to lose a date of job or a week is, 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 is fatal. Uh, a worker gets sick, he or she will think twice to report that. Aswahe also notes that many migrant workers have limited education and English language skills. When combined with the transient nature of their job, can make them hard to reach in terms of public health. You need to see this population as a very mobile population. It's a very hard to reach population and, and very difficult to, to study too as well. Dr. Amir Rezazade is another University of Florida Extension agent based in St. Lucie County. He works mainly with citrus growers. Both Aswahe and Rezazade say they've been in communication with the Florida Department of Health, trying to determine better ways to protect workers and advise companies. He has several concerns, including for workers who work inside packing facilities. Workers that works inside the, the companies have more chances to get infected with COVID-19 because they are, very, they are working very close to each other. And at the same time, their employers have some problems to provide uh, sanitizer and uh, mask and gloves for them. However, it's still in the company's best interest to protect workers. So just imagine if we lose these workers, you know, these companies uh, have to close their jobs because they are 100% depends on these uh, laborers. Dr. Dezazade is also concerned about the lack of affordable health care and accessible testing for workers. Uh, I was calling many uh, testing sites today to make sure that these farm workers uh, have access to testing sites. But uh, in many major testing sites, all of them ask me to bring your health insurance. Lupe Gonzalo says the same. So far, the workers of Immokalee have been aided by Doctors Without Borders, as she says the nearest hospital is 45 minutes away. Which is why we've started a petition for the governor to establish a field hospital here in Immokalee so doctors can care for our workers. Gonzalo wants more of the public to keep farm workers in mind as the pandemic continues. We cannot be replaced. Our human lives cannot be replaced with another life. We are farm workers, and people don't think about how we deserve a life of dignity. To dive deeper into the economic tribulations the agriculture industry is going through, Josh Williams spoke with Krista Court, the director of IFAS's Economic Analysis Impact Program, about how the pandemic is hurting different parts of the industry and what dangers lurk around the corner. Krista, first of all, tell me, how has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted the agricultural industry in Florida? Yes, I think there's several ways. Um, usually when we're responding to a disaster in Florida, it's something like a hurricane where it impacts the supply side, but um, the COVID-19 situation has been much more demand shut down overnight, and especially for a lot of growers in Florida that serve the wholesale market or intermediate market where they're selling to places like um, cruise ships, airlines, hotels, and uh, you know, demand shut down overnight and with perishable product, there was really not an alternate market that they could find immediately. How do people cope with this? I think there's there's been a lot of shifts that were able to happen over 
uh, the span of weeks and months, um, you know, if we had a product that was able to wait or wasn't out of the field yet and you could go direct to consumer, um, for example, then there's been some relief there. Was there a particular area of agriculture that was hit harder than others? Um, so, you know, the survey that we did found that, you know, all areas, all commodity groups, I'll say, were negatively impacted in terms of changes in sales revenue. I can tell you that the um, fresh fruits and vegetables that are grown in South Florida were the ones that were at peak harvest time and in the middle of shipping out uh, when it really hit and shut down the institutional and away from home food markets. What about North Florida? So North Florida's uh, more timber and field crops. So the field crops are in the field now and will come online. They're, they're more of a, a fall harvest time. Um, things like peanuts, cotton, uh, field corn. And, and we're going to redo our survey actually in August. We, we looked at the impacts to date through mid-May. Um, but we know that there's other things out there. You know, COVID-19 is still going on. We want to capture impacts that have happened to sectors we've already um, assessed in, in the first estimate, but then also these new things that will come online where they weren't in production um, in this first and second quarter, but they will be in production as, as we get into the fall and winter seasons. Now that we are in hurricane season and perhaps farmers, different agriculture leaders have not fully recovered, how would getting hit by a tropical storm or a hurricane at this point further hurt them? Yeah, I think it's, it's this idea that we call it compound disasters, right? You're in the, in the midst of a, a pandemic and all of a sudden we're hit by a hurricane. And I think they're very different types of disasters too. So on the one hand, even if an operation was able to modify their sales tactics or or modify which market they're selling into and and is getting through the COVID-19 pandemic or hit by a hurricane where their uh, crop or animal product is now destroyed. Um, it's it's going to be a, a double disaster, I would say. If you have an estimate on average, how long would it take to recover from like a double disaster? Um, you know, I don't know. It's never really happened in our lifetime, right? And I, there are bigger studies that look at the fact that the agriculture sector, especially in developing countries, is sort of prone to this year after year. You know, one year they're hit by a flood, the next year they're hit by a, a hurricane or a typhoon. And, you know, it kind of pulls down on their ability to grow and develop. And I would say it's been less, less studied in places like the U.S. or Florida, but, you know, it, it depends on the size and scope of the disaster, so something like a hurricane, but as long as a, it's not um, a disaster that's impacting their ability to produce for the next season, it's a very different story on COVID-19. It's really going to depend on consumer behavior and how quickly, um, when we're through the pandemic, which we're A, not sure when that is going to be, but you know, once we do get through the pandemic, how quickly do people go back to doing things like eating at restaurants and um, going on cruise ships, going to theme parks, a lot of these places where that wholesale um, product went to. I'm also thinking of some of our coastal communities, particularly Cedar Key. How has this impacted aquaculture? Yeah, so we had, um, we did have enough responses to generalize what we've seen in aquaculture and 
um, on, a, on average, they're down about 75% in terms of sales revenue. That's not necessarily specific um, to Cedar Key, but all shellfish aquaculture throughout the state. And Cedar Key is uh, definitely a large player there. So um, they, are, uh, they are able to pivot a little bit. And, and you know, I think that it, we had an other survey that was looking at what was happening for seafood wholesale dealers. And they are seeing um, additional customers coming in. They, you know, seafood sales were um, higher than they have been in the same um, period last year at some of these dealers. So I, I think that people are discovering that they can uh, eat seafood at home. And that's, that will be the one thing that um, turns that around. But they're certainly uh, hurting quite a bit because a majority of seafood is consumed away from home. Deputy Commissioner of Agriculture Deborah Tannenbaum spoke with Gabriella Paul about growers' concerns statewide and how the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services is working to keep them afloat. Can you start us off by briefly explaining your role in the department under uh, Florida's Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed and how long you've been with the department? Sure. Um, well, I came on board with Commissioner Freed uh, on her transition team and I joined her uh, in February 14th of 2019. Did she ask you to come onto the team because you have a particularly vast expertise in agriculture or in Florida agriculture? In Florida agriculture, um, I actually was uh, specifically represented a peanut trade association. So I'm from I'm originally from North Florida. Um, I've been working in agriculture policy and on the kind of a boots on the ground um, working in agriculture for the last six years. So you're in a perfect position to uh, answer this next question. For our listeners who are unfamiliar with the, the mammoth role that agriculture really plays in our state economically, I mean, next to only tourism, can you just briefly review how Florida Ag really touches the lives of Floridians, even if they don't realize it? That's a great question. Um, Florida is a huge foundation um, to Florida's economy. With tourism at a standstill at this moment with COVID-19, it's the largest industry and the main economic driver. Um, it's $137 billion that are brought into the state um, in supporting industry. Uh, there's over 2 million jobs and 47,000 farms. Essentially, if you eat, you um, are a part of the agriculture community. What was the general state of a few of major ag industries? You can speak on, you know, timber, seasonal fruits, vegetables, uh, or ranching before COVID-19 really took hold in our state. Well, I mean, in, in the agriculture industry, there were certainly challenges, but, you know, our, our farmers are innovative, they're adaptable, they're resilient, and they have faced so many challenges of the past, whether it's hurricanes, droughts, wildfires, and so much more. And in your role, as you said, boots on the ground, are you somebody that is quite often talking with growers and gauging their concerns? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that, you know, with the, with the new environment that we found ourselves in, the, you know, we certainly have so many new challenges. We have had disruptions in our supply and market chains. You know, we have major crop losses uh, since post-COVID um, with, you know, over half a billion dollars um, there's millions of pounds of crops that are still on the ground and unused in our fields. Right. And after surveying our Florida farmers, is there an industry in specific 
that you would say is hurting the worst? Or in other words, do you foresee any of our formerly domestic crops? And I'm really thinking of blueberries because I covered them uh, back in December when a lot of our growers were really worried about the USMCA deal. Do you see any of those crops going under permanently in the wake of our current events right now? You know, the USDA announced it was a $16 billion um, uh, direct payments through support of the Corona Fruit Assistance Program. You know, what, you mentioned how there are a lot of, of crops that could be hit um, pretty substantially, um, and we've been worried about that too. One of the things is we're, we're hoping it's not too little too late for our seasonal crop growers, um, you know, like blueberries or strawberries. Um, we are the number in the United States. Florida is the second largest specialty crop state. Uh, we're concerned about the payment caps of $250,000, which, you know, as you know, in a single day can be their a, a producer's crop loss. Um, and also by the time, um, as you know, we've seen with whether it's Hurricane Michael, the timing, timing is everything. So Hurricane Michael is very much still in the recent memory of Floridians. How is the department helping both timber farmers and other growers brace for this upcoming hurricane season when it seems that current events have already brought them to their knees? Hurricane season, you know, on top of COVID, um, there are a number of things that farmers can do and what we're, you know, talking about to, to prepare. One, for example, you checking your farm insurance coverage. Um, it's crop insurance, you know, what, what other things does your insurance cover, whether it's buildings or infrastructure. Also testing your emergency backup systems like generators and having extra fuel on hand. Taking photos, we're encouraging producers to take photos of their machinery, their inventory, their crop records. Getting your farm, you know, on a priority reactivation list with utilities and fuel suppliers. And then most of all, planning on, you know, plan for your family and uh, your farm. As we've already heard, Florida blueberry farmers have some unique challenges they're currently facing. One of those is that only Florida grows fresh blueberries from late March through April. That means this year, Florida growers were heavily impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. Anthony Montalto spoke with two Florida growers to get their perspective. Brittany Lee wears many hats, but all of them stem from one thing, blueberries. Lee is the vice president and farm manager of her family farm located right outside Gainesville. We planted 50 acres in 2010, 20 and 13, 20 and 16, 20 and 17. So we got up to about 112 acres total. We've recently taken 50 acres out and in our, are in process of, of replanting that. It was just old acreage that needed to be replanted. Sounds like a ton of work, right? Well, what if I told you she does more than just her duties at Florida Blue Farm? That's right. She's also the executive director of the Florida Blueberry Growers Association. A lot of being the executive director is just voicing, being a voice for the Florida blueberry industry and making sure that our concerns are heard. A lot of times at the federal level, there's a lack of understanding for specialty crops and the uniqueness of our seasonality. She says a lot of her job also goes back to listening to concerns of other blueberry farmers in Florida who have been impacted by things like hurricanes, the new USMCA agreement, and COVID-19. It's been a lot of legislative things 
just because of the political climate and the the adversity that the blueberry industry has faced over the last several years. You know, we had Hurricane Irma that passed directly over several farms. Lee says her farm even had a run-in with Hurricane Irma in 2017. But the farm was spared from most of the damaging winds. Still, though, she says five acres of plants were blown over in the storm. Five acres of plants is like 1,700 times five. So it's a little less than 10,000 plants. So you need 10,000 steaks, 10,000, you know, wraps, 10,000, you know, it's just a lot. And with forecasters predicting a more active hurricane season this year, farmers are worried. They're still reeling from hits related to the USMCA and COVID-19. Lee says the USMCA makes it easier to import blueberries from other countries, and that COVID-19 kept blueberries off grocery store shelves statewide. The blueberries that were on the shelves, she says, were mostly from other countries like Mexico. There were many instances where retailers, when they did choose to stock the shelves of blueberries, did not choose domestic American-grown blueberries. They chose a cheaper alternative. And Lee isn't the only one to feel that pressure. Bud Childs owns Jubilee Orchards in Tallahassee. He converted his entire farm to organic blueberries a few years back. Why? Just to compete with cheaper alternatives. And even with organic blueberries, he took a hit this year, too. The disruption of the COVID to the hotel and restaurant and cruise line and university and food service business was so extreme that it pretty much deflated the value of the organic product to probably 25 percent of what the typical value would be. Even so, he says he was still able to open up his orchard to thousands of people looking to get out of the house in April and May. This uh, April and May, we probably had 20,000 visitors safely distancing themselves on our 210 acres, picking blueberries at our orchard. But while Childs may have fared better than others this season, he still thinks enough is enough. Earlier this year, he started the Demand American Grown campaign to advocate for domestic farmers. There's really something wrong, something drastically wrong with our food system when, you know, our farmers are, are the commercial market is press them to the point where they can't even you know afford to harvest their product. He says the campaign isn't against importing products from other countries, though. The campaign is only against importing products when domestic ones are in season. We're not opposed to imports per se at all. I mean, it's fine, you know, for these countries to, and typically it would be when our off-season after May and June when our season is over that, you know, people can look to British Columbia or they can look to Peru or Colombia or uh, Mexico. And Lee echoes that sentiment. She wants what's best for Florida growers, and she made that in one other point crystal clear. Even in the midst of the, the crisis, the Florida blueberry grower showed up to work every day. We never stopped harvesting and we never stopped providing a quality, healthy, you know, food commodity for the American consumer. One way farmers get their food to consumers is through farmers markets, but the way they've had to conduct business has changed because of COVID-19. Taylor Levesque spoke with farmers and vendors at Hale Farmers Market in Gainesville who say that even amid the coronavirus pandemic, they never stopped working or selling produce where they could. We managed to stay open through the whole thing. Eric Biargard is the owner of Boondocks Tropicals in Newberry. He said business at the Hale Farmers Market was consistent. 
what happened is a lot of the customers that, that come out and they get breakfast, and they get coffee, and they buy a few things, make impulse purchases, we lost that. The people who came out here that came just to, you know, really to buy food or buy my plants or something, that stayed relatively normal. Which is something farmer Amy Van Skoik said she also experienced. People would rather come here than go to the grocery store, so we've actually seen pretty steady business here um, during the whole course of the pandemic. Van Skoik is co-founder of Frog Song Organics in Hawthorne. We just started coming to the Hale Market at the beginning of the pandemic shutdown because some of our other markets were shut down, so we were really glad to have the opportunity to sell here. But for other market vendors who didn't sell produce or food choices, they were forced to work from home. All our craft vendors shut down for a while, so we'd have more space between booths. One of those craft vendors being Stones and Shells crafter Jeannie O'Brien. I work with things from the earth and the sea. We were sidelined for a couple months, the crafters. We were deemed non-essential, so uh, most of us were just working at home or uh, working on orders from the house, but we weren't here at the market. Now moving forward a couple of weeks later, O'Brien said her business is back up and running at the market while she continues to practice safe measures. We all have masks and uh, most of the customers are wearing masks. The dogs aren't, but the kids are. Beauregard said he's seen the majority of vendors and visitors practicing social distancing, but knows everyone is still getting used to the new normal. They're pretty good about it. They do just like me. They start acting normal and then they forget and they go, oops, I'm supposed to be back here and they back up. For anyone thinking about visiting local farmers markets, Van Skoik said it's a great way to get out of the house while continuing to stay safe. In general, if you're coming to a farmer's market, you know, you're going to be out in open air, which is a lot healthier. You're not breathing recirculated air. In addition, you can see the different produce that you're getting and select items that have been grown by local producers and also get food that's fresher. So it hasn't been sitting on a distribution truck coming from California or other states. And you're also supporting the local economy because you're putting cash into the hands of vendors who live here, work here, employ people here in the county. So for us, that's you know, really important. She adds that no matter where you get your produce, always wash it before eating. I recommend that all people buying produce from any source always wash it um, right before you eat it. In general, filling your sink up with cold water and then plunging produce to let any sand or dirt fall off down into the bottom of the sink is a good way to do it. That's usually how I wash my produce. And for melons, especially now that we're getting into cantaloupe and watermelon season, you do want to actually take some soap and water and scrub the outside of your melon off before you slice into it because otherwise you're taking whatever bacteria may be on the outside of the melon and bringing it into the inside where you're eating it. Van Skoik said farmers encourage locals to support farmers markets, protect yourself, and help out your neighbors with grocery trips. As during the shutdown, Hill Farmers Market is open on Saturdays from 8.30 to noon. From the Front Lines is a production of the Innovation News Center at the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. Thank you to our producers, Taylor Levesque, Anthony Montalto, Josh Williams, Melissa Fato, Gabriella Paul, and Cameron Lund. Also, thanks to our fellow Florida public media stations for their contributions to this podcast. And a special thank you to Matt Abramson and Craig Lee for their work behind the scenes. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have a story to share with From the Front Lines, please contact WUFT on Facebook or Twitter, or send an email to news at WUFT.org. That's news at WUFT.org. Join us next Friday for another edition of From the Front Lines. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and of course, thanks for listening.